0: Hey, listeners, I've got a new website, podpage.com forward slash because I want to know there. You can listen to all my episodes, whether you listen on Apple or Spotify, it'll take you straight to your app. And you can also leave me a voicemail. If you would like me to cover a certain subject, just leave a little message for me and I'll get it. And finally, there is a donation button if you'd like to help me out via PayPal. Um, Any little bit helps, and it'll keep the podcast going and all my subscriptions up to date. Thanks so much, and you guys are killing it on the reviews and ratings, and I just can't thank you enough, and uh, happy listening. Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where we get into people's heads and find out how their choices in life has affected them. My name is Leslie Fear. I'm your host. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Michael Weber. He's of Michael Weber Consulting, he's also a detective with the Tarrant County Sheriff's Office. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hello. I am very interested in the work you do. I found you on Sword and Scale. You had interviewed for an episode of theirs for Munchausen syndrome, and it is actually a Munchausen by proxy case. Um, You didn't actually work on that case, but you are an expert in Munchausen syndrome. So can you tell me a little bit about what this disease or mental illness is? And um, we can kind of go from there.
1: Sure. What this is, first and foremost, and every expert in this country will tell you, is this is abuse. It is mental illness. As a matter of fact, there's a ton of commonality uh, between pedophilia and this abuse.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Um,
1: uh, Yeah, from grooming of victims to offender treatment, only being successful whenever the offender tells the truth about their actions. To manipulation and control of adults around the victim. I mean, there's so many commonalities with pedophilia. To the uh, compulsion of the offender that drives them to commit this abuse even though they know what the possible consequences are, it is a very mislabeled form
0: of child abuse. Wow. Okay. Now let me ask you this: What made you or drew you to this specific child abuse thing?
1: Uh, I had retired from Arlington Police Department and going to work for a local DA's office as a DA investigator, and my prosecuting attorney at that time asked me to look at one of these cases. Okay. Um, and the police department had jurisdictional issues. The police department really wanted nothing to do with it. And so I kind of backstopped it and took the case on and worked the case. All the surgeries, which in these cases under Texas law are are the actual abuse mechanisms, were out of state. So we transferred that case out of state. I never heard anything about it. But in working that case, I really had to do some research into what this was okay, and have to have conversations with my child abuse pediatrician at Cook's Children's Hospitals and Also, some experts in the field, like Dr. Mark Feldman, who was a big crush for me early on, and to kind of learn what this was, um, which first and foremost is what we talked about. This is abuse. Uh, So I had to get that through my head. I self-educated on it uh, as best I could. There's nothing out there. There's no training for law enforcement that I'm aware of, and there's really no set path. So we investigated that case. We transferred it to the agency out of state, never heard anything back from them. And I went to my prosecutor, Atlanta, and said, hey, if we get any more of these? Why don't you just assign them to me? And okay. She looked at me and she said, Mike, that's fine. I've been doing this eight years. This is the only one we've had. And I'm like, Atlanta, that's great because got a ton of work. Uh, so, you know, yay for me. And from 2009 to uh, 2015, I ended up investigating 16 of these cases at the DA's office, and we ended up criminally prosecuting six of those. Wow.
0: Um, wow. But I was going to ask you, so what Munchausen by proxy is, is isn't is it mostly mothers who abuse their own children for attention in the way of medical treatment for them, unnecessary medical treatment? Am I getting that right, or am I? Do, can you add to that?
1: Yes, that's correct. And it's... It's usually done in one of three methods, either by exaggerating, falsifying, or inducing symptoms of the child. Okay, okay. Um, so you're either actually physically causing symptoms that doctors are seeing, which is induction, or you're going to a doctor and saying, oh, my doctor, doctor, my child, he won't eat. He's, he's losing weight. The doctor sees the child is losing weight. He's refluxing at home. He's throwing up. He has diarrhea. Meanwhile, you're just not feeding your child at home.
0: Right, and the doctors are believing this person because she's bringing them to a doctor. So they're thinking they want the help that I can give them. Doctors
1: are trained that the most important element in a clinical diagnosis is medical history. Right. And these offenders are intentionally lying about that medical history Mm -hmm. to fulfill whatever need that they have.
0: Right, and we can go into that. But let me ask you this. Do you think this is, yes, it's abuse, but is this a mental Disorder? Is this mental illness?
1: Well, and again I go back to the pedophilia comparison. Because this form of abuse is listed in the DSM five mm. as the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Illness as factitious disorder imposed on another.
0: Okay. It has
1: been in the DSM-5 since 2013. DSM-5 was the first psychological publication to apply a diagnosis to the mother or the offender.
0: Wow, okay. Mental illness
1: and criminal activity are obviously not mutually exclusive. And there are many crimes uh, that are committed by people who have mental issues. Depression is also in the DSM-5. Mm, okay. we,
0: don't,
1: we don't excuse people from committing crimes because they're depressed. That's true. Using the DSM-5. Been there a long time. We don't excuse that behavior. And I think it's important to point out the difference between what the law says is mental illness and what the DSM-5 does.
0: Okay, okay.
1: In criminal law, mental illness is defined as not knowing what you're doing is wrong when you're doing it. Not having that mental culpability. Right, right. These offenders... 100% One hundred percent know what they're wrong. What they're doing is wrong when they're doing it. The pattern of deception that they lead makes that so painfully clear. So it's
0: absolutely premeditated.
1: Absolutely, okay. premeditated and planned over years, sometimes. Mm. It's also interesting when you get into an interview with them from a law enforcement perspective, right? Because it's really, in my experience, has been no different than any sex offender interview or any uh, you know abusive head trauma offender interview. Um, they'll first lie about what they've done. Mm. If you get some admissions, they're going to be admissions, you're never going to get the full story. Mm, okay. They'll only give you those after you hit them with alternate facts. And then, again, you're never going to get the full story. It is literally exactly like every other child abuse interview that I've done. These offenders are strikingly similar.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Every other child
1: abuse offender I've ever interviewed. Wow.
0: Now, do they call you in specifically? You know, for the local offenders, or are you just there for counsel? How do you deal with the people themselves? Are you the one that actually talks to them? To the offenders? Yes.
1: Well, yes, that's part of an investigative process. Okay. So if, if I'm investigating you, I'm investigating you know, I'm investigating
0: a crime. So I'm going to interview my suspect.
1: Gotcha. Let's also look at that interview because when they lie to you. So they're making a conscious decision to lie about behavior. So they're protecting a behavior they know is wrong.
0: Right, right,
1: right. So they don't really think their child's sick. They're not just overprotected parents. They know what they've done is wrong, and they're trying to hide it from you. And these offenders are very good. You know, you can give them alternative information, and they'll change their story to fit that
0: information mm. You're right. I understand what you mean by it's being similar to pedophilia. I I understand what you mean by that. Um, That's exactly how they approach it from what I know about that part. But do you think that this is more prevalent than we know? We talked about this before we started recording and I wanted to ask you this question on air because I think this is very important.
1: I only know the prevalence that I see,
0: and I can tell
1: you that 2009 to 2015, I filed six criminal cases. Now, uh, there's a local hospital that has put a system in place that allows reporting of this abuse internally, and that system has seen many reports of this abuse. Um, In a year and a half period, 56 reports of concerns of this abuse. Wow. Doesn't mean that this abuse is happening, but concerns of this abuse. And of that, that led to 14 CPS removals.
0: Oh, wow. Either
1: temporary or or permanent. And realize that all of the cases, you know, there's weaknesses in our laws in Texas, which we'll discuss in a little bit. But all of those cases are not going to rise to the criminal level. Right. I'm getting called in on some of the, I have to have an injury. I have to have a physical injury to the child. So if it's, you know, mom presenting the child with sight conditions, uh, you know. I don't have a criminal case.
0: Right, right, yeah. There
1: has to be a physical injury to the child. And that injury can come in the form of unneeded surgery.
0: Right. That was one of the, uh, that was the episode with the sword and scale. And the woman on that particular episode, Kelly, uh, I think it was Kelly Turner. Mm. Turner, yeah. yeah. Her daughter had a colonoscopy and had a feeding tube and all the things that she didn't even need. And she also had eczema, which she actually did have. That was the only thing she had. But they had to find that out once she passed away. And my thing is, how did she get past these doctors and how did she get past her family members and her friends? I mean, I think some of them were a little suspicious, but how the heck did she get away with this for so long?
1: Well, and to make a local comparison here in Dallas-Fort Worth, we had the Danita Tuck case.
0: Yes, yes.
1: The, uh, the Anita Tuck case would have been the Kelly Turner's case, but for the hospice nurse who was able to get needed to agree to separate for 30 hours more, and then she just let the child they did anything he could. Uh, that child was 13 years old and 52 pounds, that separation.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: She was on her way to starving her child to death, mm. uh, which is what is alleged in the uh, Turner case. And right. that is the main question people have about this abuse is... Why would a doctor do a procedure that isn't needed? Right. And people, you know, people have this idea of doctors as, as being almost superhuman. Um, doctors rely on medical history. Right. Uh, it is the most important factor in determining a diagnosis. Absolutely. And when a mother presents a false medical history to a doctor, you are going to get a false diagnosis Every time. Mm -hmm. And these listeners pick certain things. I mean, it's almost like there's a playbook out there, but that's because they pick diagnoses that are not easily medically tested for. Oh, I
0: see.
1: So they're picking gastric issues that there really isn't any great medical test for.
0: Right. No, yeah. And
1: you go into a doctor's office. How long do you see your doctor? 15 minutes. What do you do? You tell them where your pain is, right? Right you tell them, doctor, my arm hurts, he's going to look at your arm. Same thing for these victims, except the mother is doing the talking.
0: Right, and, and the,
1: this can go yeah. on for years, yeah. um, as we saw with Gypsy Blanchard. This could go on even into adolescence.
0: And, and that's the thing, and, they're, and they get really smart because now we have the internet, and they can look up all these diagnoses of of childhood il- or just any illness that they think their child could have, or whatever they've heard on you know NCIS or whatever crime show they watch and they look it up and go, hey, this might be good, and I get attention. But then again, I'm thinking, how the heck do they pay for all this stuff, too? I mean, okay, okay, one thing to get attention, but then how are you going to pay the medical bills? I mean, that seems to me to be mind-blowing. I I don't understand that either.
1: Well, and and I don't know that they necessarily think along those lines. Now, some of them are on Medicaid, so actually we're paying for it. Oh, yeah. Some of my offenders have had health insurance, and, you know, they may be getting fundraiser hearings there, but they're not making enough to cover their medical bills.
0: Right. Okay. Uh,
1: but uh, again, that attention that they get from it is more valuable to them than any monetary loss.
0: Wow. And as primarily women who are no longer married or separated from the father, is that kind of what you've seen in the past or is it both the parents or mostly just the mother? What's the pattern there?
1: Well, there's a literary study done in 2017 that looked at 796 cases of this abuse Of the offenders in those 796 cases, 95.6 were the mothers of the child and 97.6 were female. So, for whatever reason, be it a crime of opportunity, because in our society mothers take on the role to care for the child's health, or whether it be something specific to women, women are our main offenders.
0: Wow. Okay. I'm just blown away at at just the fact that they don't think about the repercussions and it's all, it's almost like a narcissistic kind of thing. I mean, they just have to have the attention.
1: Mm -hmm. You should bring that up. Uh, If you get a a true, good psychological evaluation of these offenders, which is hard to do because they lie. Right. um, But if, if you can get a true psychological evaluation, what they found is that the most common psychological diagnosis in these offenders is narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality
0: disorder. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, it would have to be that. I mean, to to think you could get away with this, um, and I'm not saying these women aren't smart. These women sound like they know they got a good head on their shoulders when it comes to remembering medical terms and knowing what they can get away with for that day or whatever. But then when, the, when you look at the long term, it's so scattered as far as so that, that's where that narcissism comes in when they just don't even think about anything else. They just want one goal. And that goal is to get that attention. And that just blows me away. How insecure well, can you be to need that?
1: Right. And I, I do want to address you. you say to think that they could get away with it. Just so your listeners know, they normally do get away with it.
0: Oh, that's so sad.
1: Um, um, it's, it's very rarely identified. We're not good at identifying it, and we're certainly not good at investigating it or prosecuting it, at least in my state of Texas.
0: Right, right. And do you think HIPAA has a lot to do with that? What are your thoughts on, you know, just a centralized medical record database in Texas and how HIPAA is, you know, yes.
1: And, And there you have HIPAA, right? So you don't have a centralized medical database anywhere in the United States. That's one problem. But even if you did, you are asking a doctor now, let's say the child's, Four years old. Right. And mom has been doing this since the child was six months old. Your medical records are going to number about 15,000 pages. Now you're asking a doctor to go through all of those medical records before treating that child and look at all those medical histories that mom has given and compare them to one another just if she's lying about the child's health.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah.
1: Doctors don't have time to do that.
0: Right, yeah,
1: that, yeah. That, that's what also has to be done in a criminal investigation. Detectives don't have time to do that. They also don't really understand this subject very well, and they're pressed for time. So you have uh, a lot of human nature taking over, especially with police and CPS, because they are so busy. Mm. And they just tend to write this off as mom being overprotective or overly concerned about the child's health.
0: Because she looks the opposite of what she really is she's trying to protect the child she's trying to uh bring it to the doctor she's doing what she can do so everybody thinks the opposite the the perception of this is just so wrong but you know i i get why it's hard to diagnose that's just it's craziness to me
1: well and now so on top of that the cps in texas provides no mandated training to their investigators on this abuse Mm. they have no policy specific to this abuse I'm going to tell you, it's a very different investigation. So you may have a CPS investigator who gets one of these cases assigned to her as a medical neglect case, right? Because they also don't have a medical child abuse designation. Right. So it comes to her as a medical neglect. She goes out and she sees the mom going to the doctor constantly Goading on her child, she's going to clear that case.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. Well, why wouldn't she? She checked it out. And a lot of times. It's not her
1: fault. She has received no training on what this is.
0: Well, that's true. Uh, Exactly what you just said. And also, a lot of the kids, even if they're older, they don't talk. They are trained very well by their parent, their mother, typically, not to say a word. So they have no voice at all.
1: That's correct. And, you know, we talked about the grooming, and grooming comes in. In many different styles, right? With sex offenders, we think about buying presents and stuff like that. With these mothers, you know, the grooming is perhaps the only way the child knows how to get love from his mother is to play the sick role. Mm. Once they start getting older, and they're taught that by their mother, these offenders are extremely manipulative.
0: Wow, you know that's that's a whole other thought I didn't even consider. I really didn't because now they're trying. The child who's been abused its whole life is trying to perform for the mother. And the only way that they know that makes the mother happy is just to play sick and not to say anything to a doctor or a nurse or anyone who can help them, whether it's a family member. And
1: and at the same time, the child's being told they're sick their whole life. So they don't really have a baseline for health anyway.
0: Well, that's true. Yeah, It's
1: very easy to accept that role for them.
0: It's a very vicious circle. So the end result is hopefully the child does survive, but if they don't, it's either death or they age out or something. Is that kind of what happens?
1: Yeah, it's funny because of some of the papers I've written and, and some of the articles that have been done. I'll get a call usually about once a month from someone who has aged out of this abuse wanting resources.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I have nowhere to send them. There are no resources for this abuse. Oh. There's no Munchausen by Proxy Association that's helping people recover or bringing awareness to this form of abuse. It just doesn't exist.
0: Wow. Please tell me there's some kind of legislature or you're doing – I know you're doing everything you can – But are you trying to get some kind of funds for an investigative group through the Tarrant County Sheriff's Office or just whoever to do more investigating on this particular illness or abuse, I should say?
1: The Texas legislature, there is a bill currently working its way through the legislature very early on, obviously. But the bill is House Bill 1773 in the Texas House of Representatives and this bill states that it will make it illegal for a caregiver to intentionally or knowingly provide a false medical history to a medical provider to get an unneeded medical intervention and medical intervention is defined narrowly as administration of controlled substance inpatient or outpatient surgery or administration of anesthesia okay so it's a, it's a very narrow definition for a reason Uh, We don't want to overreach with this bill. But, you know, currently I've had a case where brain surgery occurred,
0: Wow. And the intracranial
1: pressure monitor was placed in the child. Under current Texas law, that does not meet the threshold of serious bodily injuries. Mm. And we're really trying to shoehorn this criminal office into Texas law because we don't have anything that addresses it specifically. And if you have a new law, you then have legislative training for your police officers. Well, they have to address that law and they have to understand it. And you can use that opportunity to educate them on the law and subsequently on the abuse. Right.
0: You know, Mike, this is not a new phenomenon. This is something that's been going on for years. I mean, I don't know how far you can go back, but it's just now being something that people are kind of being aware. I never heard of it until maybe 10 years ago.
1: Well, and I think, uh, you know, I think we are seeing some acceleration in this abuse. Mm. Um, I think for the simple fact that as a society, we're becoming more attention-seeking. Yes. Um, with social media and everything else going on. But, you know, think about if you were going to commit this abuse in 1992 and you didn't have a lot of medical knowledge, what would you need to do to present false symptoms to a doctor? You'd have to go to the library.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right.
1: There was no Internet. Criminals are inherently lazy, right? So now they have the Internet. Now it's a freaking three-minute Google search, right? right?
0: and that's what's it's scary. What about, all the symptoms
1: to present to the doctor.
0: Yeah, and that's what's scary and about the Internet. You yeah. know,
1: back in the 90s when they talked about attention-seeking, You know, the theory was they were wanting attention from the medical professionals. Well, that's really all they could get it from, right? Right. Well, now social media has opened up a whole new avenue of attention-seeking among these victims. Yes. You know, they can have the victim page. A lot of my victims have had their own, you know, medical page. um,
0: GoFundMes.
1: GoFundMes, multiple fundraisers. You know, we talked about Olivia Gant. You know, she was very publicly, if you believe the allegations, very publicly killed in front of the police and the fire department by her mother. Yeah. And again, no one knew.
0: Right. I mean, I think one person suspected that they had interviewed, but just because things weren't adding up, but, she wasn't for sure, and and you know by the time she figured it out, the poor little girl had died, and she couldn't have done anything anyway. i she had already moved, but still, it was just I'm sure it was heartbreaking for her to think, how could I let that go? but
1: that brings up a very good point If someone makes this allegation or if if this allegation gets in your head about someone, right you need to take that gut feeling seriously, right you suspect abuse and you report it, and you know the interesting thing about doctors in this abuse. I even saw an interview on the Olivia Gantt case where they had a emergency doctor say, well, we need to know 100% before you report. No, no, no. That's my job. Don't mix roles.
0: Right, right.
1: Right? Currently, police are terrible at doing that job. But that is our job. Right. You suspect, you report.
0: Right. It's
1: up for us to prove whether it's happening or not.
0: And that's the whole reason you have your consulting firm. And you do all the conventions and you do all the newspaper articles and the, and the interviews. This is where you shine. This is this is your expertise. So, of course, you need to do that work. Let the police, you know, keep her on their radar on the other side of it. And let's get some of these people caught because these kids are dying, Mike.
1: Well, and the one saving grace, if there is one, uh, about this is most of these offenders want to keep the child alive because that's a means of attention. But you do have the offenders like Kelly Turner where, you know, attention can come in many forms. It can also come as a mother of a dead child.
0: Right. Yeah. And then she started on her second child, the other one. That's what got her caught. Correct. You know, you start getting very comfortable and you start getting kind of, you know, drunk in the thought of, I can do this again. And I didn't get caught that last time. I can do it again. This is how smart I am. And that's that narcissistic personality coming back, thinking they can do it all. Right.
1: And, you know, I do think these offenders, the more advanced ones, like, um, you know, allegedly Kelly Turner, I do think these offenders get a some type of psychological thrill out of fooling people, particularly people they perceive as smarter than themselves.
0: True. You're right. I think they do, too. Absolutely. That's that narcissistic, though, they think. Right. Yeah, That's exactly. exactly correct. Yeah. Well, I tell you, there are so many questions I had for you, but my my point is, with this whole Munchausen syndrome, this is the reason I wanted to have you on my show, It is so hard to diagnose because there are so many loopholes to go through. But because these poor kids are dying or aging out, but still have so many emotional issues after they do age out, if they do make it out, there's got to be a better way we can do this. So if I can bring attention to your website, Michael Weber Consulting, to anyone who feels that there might be something going on with a family member, a friend, someone you've heard of, whatever the case may be. You know, even if they're not local, maybe they could even call you and find out where to go, even if it's not in the same state. I don't know if you could even do that.
1: Oh, yeah, I get those calls a lot. Oh,
0: okay. But like I said, that's the whole reason I had you on, because I'm just trying to bring more awareness to this, because this is becoming more prevalent, at least in my view of things, because I've heard so many other podcasts do this particular subject and focus on it. And I know it's been going on for a long time, but you're right, the internet every, you know, all the GoFundMes, and then you're stuck at home because of COVID and you can't get out, that makes them even more desperate. So I, I hope it doesn't get worse, but it's already so bad. I just want things to get better for these kids. Right.
1: Well, and that, you know, that is the goal. If you live in Texas, contact your congressman and tell them you're behind House Bill 1773.
0: Okay. Yeah, Absolutely. And Mike, uh, you, like I said, you are with uh, Michael Weber Consulting. You're in Tarrant County. You're also a detective with the Tarrant County Sheriff's Office. So you've had, I think, 36 years in police work. And you've also had at least 15 years uh, doing this particular research. So I commend you for everything you've done. And I wish you the best. And thank you so much for looking out for the kids. I tell you, I've got two. They're older now, but. I can't imagine doing that to my child and I hope these people get caught. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: If you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review. It'll help my podcast out and more people will be able to listen. Also, I am a novelist and write paranormal romance. All my books are available on amazon.com. So check me out. And you can also reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you guys all for your support. And I'll talk to you next week.